Promises made, promises broken, unemployment soars, prices skyrocket, and everyone is lying. How do you sort through the mess? With the help of a truth detector. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. I I don't know that I've ever been called before a truth detector. I, uh, I think more applicable would be, and more important would be, I want to be a BS a bull detector. And that's getting easier and easier to do today, isn't it? I mean, all you got to do is listen to the substance of what experts and authorities are saying all the time. We have the ability to discern who's speaking the truth and who isn't. Let me just say this. We talk about all of the craziness that began in our world when they discovered the internet, when they put satellites in orbit around the world and we got internet satellite we got television satellite we got telephones satellite and it just made the world seem to be smaller when it comes to communication but then it began to just really get tough because people found out here's a way where we can feed all kind of blather across these abilities to communicate with others in the world and we'll just so mass confusion and will keep people mixed up. Things change, folks. But let me tell you what isn't changing. Listen closely. This morning, very early, about 5.35, I was on I-220 driving across Cross Lake in Shreveport. And it um, it wasn't raining. It wasn't really cloudy. And I looked up and I saw the moon. And folks, it was spectacular. Just looked like a Uh, a big ball hanging up in the air over the lake. But all of a sudden, I uh, reached a stretch, and you see these pictures in these movies over swamps or water, and you see the fog coming off the water, and it comes up, and it almost obscures the moon, but it doesn't really. And it was like the feeling that I was having when I first saw the moon, it just went away. All of a sudden... It was spooky feeling. You know what I'm talking about. And I think the point I'm reaching here is that things perceptually change, but the things themselves don't change. For instance, the moon was the same when I first hit the Cross Lake Bridge and I looked up and saw it was crystal clear, but halfway across the lake, it just appeared to be swampy and mysterious. That's the world in which we find ourselves every day. So how do you handle that, Dad? Well, i I got to be honest with you. I kind of liked it both ways. I like spookiness. I love horror shows and movies. It gets me away from the reality of the world and lets me just dive off into falsehoods that are just things to think about and be diversions for a short while. I kind of like that. But nevertheless, the point is, often... We see and hear things, and we make our opinions based upon our perceptions of those things we see and hear. When the things we see and hear change, what we normally do is we just, if we're happy about them at one moment, when we hear something negative about them, we go off on a tangent. We go crazy and nuts. Truth 
is truth 24-7. It doesn't matter in what circumstances it finds itself. It's not changing. So where are you going with this, Dan? We've got to find ways to zero in on the facts, find the heart, find the substance of things that are critical in our lives, and just do this. Pour some concrete around that post that you put in the ground where that thing is and let it just dry, let it settle, and you never have to worry about that post in the ground ever failing you because you found out it's concrete. It's not going anywhere. Facts don't change. Circumstances change, but the truth, facts, are absolute and they're forever. If they're not forever, if they go away, well, they weren't facts or truth in the first place. It's okay to question, but when question turns into doubt, when doubt turns into fear, you're really stepping on very, very treacherous territory. Hey, listen, for those of you that haven't yet looked at the homepage of truthnewsnet.org today, one of the most important stories, one of the most critical revelations that we've ever done is there. And I must be honest with you, I did not pin today's article. It's, it's written by Kelly Nelson. Kelly Nelson is a contributing editor here, and uh, she's plugged in in some places in this nation that few are. She sees and hears and understands a lot of things that others like us here at Truth News Network can't just simply because we're not exposed to the same information. This one talks about some really, really scary and truthfully horrible things that are going on. They've been bubbling under the surface for years politically and in big business around the world, and we just always had that unsettled feeling, not certain, but it just seemed like things we were being told just didn't fit the circumstances we were seeing. Folks, it's critical that you read that story today. We're not going to do the whole thing. And here's the reason why. You need to dive into it. You need to read it. It's not a very long story. But it gives information that answers a lot of your questions about the whys, the what's, the purpose, for all of the circumstances that we've been seeing unfold before our eyes for several years now. And we've questioned, what does that mean? What are they really doing? The story title is More in U.S. Politics Than You Know. And it's terrifying. And it is terrifying. Let me just read the the first paragraph of her story. This is Kelly Nelson, a good friend of this, this show. She starts by saying, in a previous article, I mentioned Black Rock Incorporated. Not many took notice of or mentioned it, but now Black Rock is finally hitting the news big time. And they have influence, unbelievable influence with world leaders. In less than 30 years, this American financial firm has grown from nothing to becoming the world's largest and most trusted manager of other people's money. It was created in 1988. BlackRock gained its current power in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. With the fall of Lehman Brothers, Wall Street was in the throes of freefall. No one knew what thousands of their financial portfolios contained, what was hidden behind the derivatives, what was toxic, 
and what was not, what was dangerous and what wasn't. They are the financial leviathan that bears down on Europe's decisions and America's. The assets left in their care are more than 8.7 trillion American dollars. And folks, BlackRock, don't forget the name. Read the story. Read the rest of this. It peels back the layers. And what have we told you all the time, over and over again, when we see and hear things that happen out there and we can't understand why our leaders, while why people in power in Washington, D.C. would do this or let this happen. Why don't they do this to take care of the problems? What have we always told you? When you have questions like that and you want answers and you need answers, the best way while you're waiting for others to bring information to you is to start your own investigation from this perspective. Follow the money. Follow the money. Now we're talking about BlackRock. Kelly is in this story. And when you use the number, they're managing other people's assets that total $8.7 trillion. $8.7 trillion. It's three times the U.S. GDP every year. There's something going on there. And the revelations are in this story, complete with all kinds of hyperlinks when Kelly, she's a, she's a researcher, she's a true journalist, and when she writes a story and she points out facts, you don't have to question that they're factual or not. Now, what do you mean we're supposed to just benignly believe what she says? No, 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 no. Hit the hyperlink. For instance, we started that, that uh, first paragraph. In a previous article, she said, I mentioned BlackRock. Well, the words previous article or in the form of a hyperlink. You didn't read a previous article? Click on the hyperlink before you start this story. Go back and read the other. And then when she talks about created in 1988, BlackRock gained its current power in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. That whole sentence is in the form of a hyperlink. So you can go back and get a fundamental perspective where she starts the story today. This is true journalism, and it is full of documented facts. And when you get to the end of it today, let me tell you what, you're going to know a whole lot more than you did before you start. But also, you're going to be in a place of responsibility of facts that you have consumed, facts with which you will be expected to make some decisions for yourself and for your family members. Don't you dare miss it. Truthnewsnet.org. And again, the story title is More in U.S. Politics Than You Know, and it's terrifying. Well, hold your breath, folks. I'm about to tell you something you're not going to believe. It's been 93 days, 93 days, three months and three days. What are we talking about? 93 days ago, President Biden appointed Vice President Kamala Harris as the United States Southern Border Czar 93 days ago. Now, the Southern Border, the crisis that she's so, so-called the manager of and dealing with, she hadn't got a clue what it is, what it's like, what's going on down there. And she hasn't, even though she's in charge 
She hadn't even bothered to go down there. Well, two things play into this. Now, there are a lot of things, but the timing, two things play into it. First of all, she kept saying, I don't need to go. I'm not going. That's not the problem. I'm dealing with the root of the southern border situation by dealing with the governments of the Northern Triangle nations where, according to her, all of these people are coming from. Well, that kind of paled when the facts came out that since she has been vice president, those three countries in the Northern Triangle that she says are sending everybody, there are only three of 161 countries from where people are coming and we're catching them crossing our southern border illegally. So information, facts get out there, and you know, most politicians on both sides of the aisle, they really don't like it when they say something is so, and you got to listen to me because I'm telling you the truth, when they're revealed to be not telling the truth later. That's number one. That's why she, one reason she's going today. The second reason is former President Donald Trump is going, and he made an announcement. How could any current person in the White House in that president's vice president let Donald Trump make them look bad by going down and doing something they don't want to do. Neither the president or the vice president have been to the southern border since being in office. Think about that. Think about that. We have almost a million people that have crossed the border illegally on their watch and it's not a big enough deal for them to go down there. Well, guess what? Kamala's going to the southern border but the spot she chose to visit is 800 miles from the epicenter of this crisis. It's the McAllen, Texas area. And if you know anything about the southern half of Texas, you know how big it is and how wide it is. She's going to El Paso, which is on the extreme southwest corner of the state. McAllen is on the far, 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 far east, way down south, right on the Mexican border, 800 miles away. Now, there are illegal actions taking place in the El Paso sector, no doubt about it. But those illegal crossings there pale when compared to what's happening in the McAllen sector. Tens of thousands, tens of thousands every week or sneaking across the border there. And it would behoove her, and it would be good for, you know, we minions, we Americans, if our leaders would kind of know what problems they're facing and know about them firsthand. Just go take a peekaboo. Why is Kamala going? I don't know, folks. Symbolism, no doubt. No substance to it. I heard what her itinerary is and guess what El Paso is just a blip on her weekend she's headed to Southern California she's going home for the weekend on your tax dollar but she's going to stop by El Paso she's going to stay we heard about 90 minutes wow we have thousands of people in our government down there trying to keep our nation safe and the number two person in power is going to spend an hour and a half. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. More than 50 Republicans in the House demanded, (laughs) 50 
demanded that the president dump Harris as the borders are because she's failed to do anything to secure the southern border. Five days earlier, Trump scheduled that trip to the border with Texas Governor Greg Abbott. That's the real reason she's going, folks. So instead of inspecting the border crisis where there's nearly a, you know, a paltry 700% spike in illegal immigrant crossings since last May, Harris went to South Carolina yesterday, to Georgia, and to the Northeast to promote coronavirus vaccines. Now, she did go south. She went down to um, Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico. That was on June 8th. She laughed in that, and very famous laugh. This is going to haunt her for as long as she's in politics. In that interview with NBC News, Lester Holt, and Lester confronted her. She said, we've been to the southern border. And he said, you haven't been to the southern border. And she just looked at him speechless. And then she said, well, I haven't been to Europe either. (laughs) She laughed again about the crisis in another interview while she was down there. A Univision anchor pressed as to when she would be visiting that border that she flew over to get into these northern triangle countries. She said, I'm not finished. She interrupted as she bobbed her head and chuckled before hinting she was going to visit the southern border. And when the reporter tried to say something, she said, I said I'm going to the border. And here's her answer for all of this. If we are going to deal with the problems at the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border. She was trying to excuse her total lack of attention to the 21-year border crossing high of more than, in one month, 180,000 in May. And that 180,000, those are the ones we know about, have no clue how many more, but we do know it was massive amounts more got through the border without us knowing about it. So breathe easier tonight, folks. You'll know that your vice president went and took a peekaboo Now, it's pretty easy in El Paso to see the border. I-10, Interstate 10, that runs all the way across the nation, east to west. It runs right through El Paso and right along the border fence in New Mexico. University of Texas El Paso's football stadium's on the right, if you're going west. And Mexico is behind a fence right on the left of the interstate. You can look right over into Mexico. So she's going to get a -a peekaboo. No doubt about it. But she's not going to get at ground zero. She has no intention of going to ground zero. She has no intent, no intention to really get to the root of the matter. It's much easier to stand at the top and wave your hand at the real problem while speaking over the telephone or making these massive, wide, and unsubstantiated allegations that we, the United States of America, that she and Joe, as president and vice president, can look at El Salvador and look at Honduras and look at Guatemala and look at Mexico and be able to know exactly from thousands of miles away exactly what is wrong in those countries that is causing all these people to rush to get out of those countries and into the U.S. They know. Ask them. They'll tell you. But when they start lining up the excuses, the reasons, folks, there are people in every country on planet Earth 
that have some of the same issues that they're saying these countries have in Central America. We can't fix everything for everybody on planet Earth. And it's very, very it's stupid, it's wrong, it's egregious for them to even play like we could really do that, even if their intention was really to do that. It can't be done and their intention is not to do that. Their intention is to flood our country with the illegals that will somehow very quickly, as quickly as possible, because they're pretty sure they're going to lose their power in 2022 in the midterm elections and certainly when the president and vice president come up for election in 2024, they got to get it all done now, now, now. They're hoping the old adage, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, holds true here. They want the genie out. They're pushing that genie to get out of that bottle before they get sent packing so that their political purposes to bring to us whatever the heck their long-term plan is regarding our government structure. They just know this one thing. They are not going to be happy if it stays the same. They've got to move all that power that is controlled by the people. You know, that constitutional thing. You know, that thing our forefathers put in place and said, the United States of America is going to be governed of the people, by the people, and for the people. Got to do away with that. It's got to be top down, no longer people up. Government has got to do it all. That's their goal. They're not going to settle until they get there. And if the people feel otherwise, the people have to make the determination to make change. And the people have the power to make the change. Well, I'm sure you feel better today knowing that President Biden has announced his crime-fighting plan. He put it out there for us day before yesterday. I mean, he's got it all figured out. He knows exactly what we need to do. Of course, it all begins and ends with getting guns away from people. Getting guns away from people. And he's looked around the world. He's looked at history. He sees all around the globe where every nation that had any kind of crime problem, they fixed it. You know how they fixed it? They took all the weapons away from the people. Well, there are a few that have taken the weapons away from the people but none have successfully stopped criminal actions by doing that. In fact, basically what that has done historically around the world, it just pours gasoline on the fires of criminality. Just hours after Biden gave the world his crime-fighting plan, the city of Chicago suffered two mass shootings almost at the same time. One of those claimed four victims in the Austin neighborhood at about 9.30 on Wednesday evening. The second occurred in Inglewood, where four people who belonged to a motorcycle club were shot around the same time of the evening. Chicago PD said the shots were fired from one passing vehicle, and they have nobody in custody, no suspects in either case. So, symbolism over substance. Symbolism over substance. This is never going to stop. This violence, criminality in big cities like that, 
It will never stop. You can take guns away from all the people that have them and own them legally. You can't take them away from the people that own them illegally because you don't know who they are. You don't know what guns they have or where they got them. So what are you going to do? The people out there that would be the ones you would hope would rise to whatever the criminal occasion is and use their constitutional rights to assist law enforcement to make sure those illegals out there that are have they've got guns galore, they're not allowed to just have their way. It's called accountability. It's called enforcing the rule of law. It'll never happen, folks, unless and until we begin across the board at every level, federal, state, and local, enforce the law. Every time, enforce the law. When people understand this is the United States of America, we have the constitutional rule of law, there are laws in place, and our leaders are going to see to it that every law that is broken, the lawbreakers will be held accountable to the maximum of the rule of law, the particular laws that govern what those people did illegally. Unless that happens, until it happens, we're going to continue to see what is happening in Chicago and New York City and Seattle and Portland. It's going to spread across the nation like, uh, let me think of a word, Uh, how about pandemic, a lawlessness pandemic. Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they've already lit the fires of lawlessness when George Floyd died at the hands of those cops in Minneapolis Memorial Day a week a year ago. That was another fire of lawlessness that was lit. Law enforcement, they're the ones that have the sole power to put those fires out. And yet, you remember what happened in Minneapolis? When that section of Minneapolis began to be burned every night, and it wasn't just Black Lives Matter, there were a bunch of locals, Antifa stepped in, people that wanted to just find a way to push back and thinking and believing and feeling illegality is okay. When all that was happening, President Trump, former President Trump, he reached out to the governor of Minnesota. He reached out to the mayor of Minneapolis and he said, look, let me send in, let me send in the National Guard just to give you some backup to stop this criminality. And both of those guys The governor and the mayor said, no, 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 don't you come here. Don't you come here. Next night, Minneapolis burned. Same thing happened the next night. Minneapolis burned. People getting shot, careers destroyed as these criminals indiscriminately went around the city just taking businesses apart, breaking in, looting, hurting people, just tearing it up, destroying people's lives. And finally, the governor said, you know what? Maybe we need some help. So he called Washington. The president sent in the National Guard. But the governor had some some rules. He told all those National Guard members that were there to stop the riots. He said, no guns. (laughs) No guns. (laughs) And by the way, stand on the sidewalk. Let everybody see you. But don't get involved. That lasted about 24 hours. Uh, The governor watched, the mayor watched, 
Minnesotans watched in horror as Minneapolis began to burn even brighter. I mean, come on, folks. That was the perfect picture of America that the far left think is okay now. You want to defund the cops? Well, no, we don't want to defund them. We're just going to change the way we police our neighborhoods and our city. We're going to have law enforcement folks just kind of look in to make sure nothing gets out of hand. That really worked in Minneapolis, didn't it? No, it didn't work. And finally, finally, government made a decision. We got to get involved. And he let National Guard get involved. Two things happened. They broke up. They stopped some of the criminals from doing what they were doing. But a bunch of the lawbreaking stopped when they realized, the lawbreakers, the criminals realized, hey, government's going to step in and hold us accountable if we break the law. And they stopped it. What in the heck do you think jail was ever created to accomplish? Everybody thinks, well, it's to punish somebody for breaking the law. That's just one little small part of it. There are three parts to it. One is to punish them. Two is to stop them from doing it again. And three is to give them a chance to straighten out their lives, to reconsider the paths that they've gone down that led them to go to prison. It's a threefold concept, folks. And neither of the three can work totally if it lives in a vacuum. You've got to have accountability. And the rule of law contains that. Why the heck? doesn't Joe Biden and everybody else, why don't they believe the facts that have been in existence for centuries? People are prone, in some cases, to break the rules. When whoever's in charge holds the people accountable for whatever they do, when they break the rules, people will say, you know what, maybe maybe I don't want to do that anymore because I get a bad result when I do it. Well, what happens if nobody does that? They just keep right on. They just do whatever they want to do. You know somebody we haven't heard much from of late, which is really odd to me, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's usually in the thick of everything. I mean absolutely in the thick. Well, she's back. She's back in front of the camera, and I'm sure you believe when I say this. She has got some great wisdoms that she laid out yesterday in her presser about some very important things. And what we're going to let you do is hear from the House Speaker herself right after this break at TNN Live. Hello? I just wanted to compliment you on your new beautiful furniture. Who is this? Oh, I live in the building right next to uh, yours. You do? And I'm looking right inside your living room window. <laughs> My what? I bet you've been to Ikea store-wide sale, haven't you? Jiminy, some creepy guy is looking in our window. What? I bet you got that nice leather recliner from Ikea, too. Uh, yes, we get all our furniture from Ikea. Especially right now during Ikea's super mega blowout sale, huh? Jiminy! What, woman? Close the freaking drape! Oh, I can see in the bedroom, too. Oh, God. Jiminy! What? Hey, are those designer shower curtains? Ah! Jiminy! Shut up, woman! The Super Mega Blowout Sale at Ikea, where you can get everything you need for your home. 
the I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-through to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounded with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Or somewhere else? This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. That's me. If you want to join us at any time, feel free to grab the phone. Give us a call toll free 866 Truth. That's 866-378-7884. House Speaker Pelosi, what can I say? What a dramatic, positive, impactful Speaker of the House she has been, right? Well, she came out now and she announced that the House is unilaterally, unilaterally, not bipartisan way, but Democrats in the House themselves are going to have a select House committee to investigate the January 6th Capitol riot. Following the failure last month, she tried to get a bipartisan effort to form an independent commission across the hall in the U.S. Senate. And so yesterday, House Speaker Pelosi went to the podium, and she was asked about this, and she gave a very full explanation of exactly what and why this committee is necessary. Again, January 6th was one of the darkest days in our nation's history. I've said it now three times. It is imperative that we establish the truth of that day and ensure that an attack of that kind cannot happen and that we root out the causes of it all. The select committee will investigate and report on the facts and the causes of the attack, and it will make report recommendations uh, for the prevention of any future attack. That is our purpose. That is what the select committee will be about. And that is about seeking and finding the truth. The timeline will be as long as it takes for them the time they need to do the investigation of the causes of this. There are two actual uh, paths. One is about the root causes of it, the white supremacy, the anti-Semitism, the Islamophobia, all the rest of it that was so evident when you see us. The root causes of the January 6th riot. She knows what they are. I mean, she told you, white supremacy, anti-Semitism. Hmm. Let's see, I'm thinking of one other one. Let me think, let me think. The hatred for former President Donald Trump. Hmm. The disdain for the way Republican government instigated the rule of law and let it work 
the way it was constitutionally set up. Hmm. Ferret out Republicans and paint them all as evil. She left all those out. So, at the surface, if you're just a listener or reader looking in and you see a story or hear a story about this, that all sounds kind of innocent, you know? Well, we just want to make sure we don't we don't let those that were involved in that go unpunished. Um, and certainly, we got to root out the causes of it. Root out the causes. Where have we been hearing that of late? Of course, from the White House, we've heard the root causes of the crisis at the southern border, which they won't admit is a crisis, is because poor people in Central America, they've run away. They've got to get away from the conditions in their own country. That's the root cause, the criminality down there. People are scared. Families are afraid their kids are going to grow up in an in a environment in which is evil, which may end up getting their kids killed or their kids will make choices to go down the wrong road. I get all that. I understand it. And it's very, very positive for parents to feel that way and want to do better for themselves and their families. In fact, I can think of one country at least on earth that grew to what it is today based on that fundamental principle and the guarantee in its founding documents that everybody here Oops, I gave it away. It's the United States. Everybody here has the right to pursue happiness. It's guaranteed by the Constitution. But you know what? We can't fix the criminality problems down there. We can't fix the crime problem down there. We can't fix the people that are perpetrating the criminal acts down there. We can't fix their education system. We can't fix the people they elect to be governed and uh, find out later they're corrupt. We can't fix any of that. You heard Nancy Pelosi say, we got to find the root causes. Well, she named them. (laughs) We don't need to find them. She named them. White supremacy, anti-Semitism. What she failed to do was tell us how to fix them. So let me tell you why this is so stinking hypocritical. And it is nothing but hypocrisy. There is no substance. There will be none. Folks, we have a division of the executive branch of the United States that is constitutionally created and enlightened and endowed to uphold the law and to find those who break the law and to hold them accountable. That would be the Department of Justice. That would be the DOJ, the Attorney General's Office, and the FBI. So why did Nancy Pelosi engage the FBI and those other experts that are out there to do just what she says this committee is going to do? Well, wait a minute, Dan. The FBI is already doing it. Well, they're just not doing a good enough job. Nancy says the problem's still there. We don't know what they are. Oh, wait a minute. We do know what they are, but we haven't found the people that were responsible. Well, the FBI and about 200 of their best investigators have already arrested 400 people that were involved illegally that day, did all kinds of things. Well, Pelosi wants to make sure that 
her investigative division, you know, the United States House of Representatives, they've got a whole fleet of investigators that are criminal experts, right? Well, no, they really don't. They don't have any, as a matter of fact. Well, why don't they have them? Maybe we need them. They do have them. It's called the FBI. If Pelosi and company had any desire to get the facts to find the people that were guilty of any criminality in that event that happened that day, and there was a lot of lawlessness that went on, no doubt about it, not questioning that, and the people that did it need to be held accountable. But for her to say, we got to find out what's wrong and then tell you the wrong there is white supremacy and anti-Semitism. She can't, nobody in Congress, nobody in the United States can stamp white supremacy out of existence, nor anti-Semitism. And by the way, or racism, or homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, transphobia, all of those and all of the isms. Human beings adopt. They make conscious decisions to adopt all of that wrongdoing. Just as Nancy Pelosi, any time in her life, any time in her political career, she has told a lie, she's misrepresented facts, she made a choice consciously to do that. People who are elected to office, they go to the Capitol, both sides of the aisle from both political parties. If they don't do the things their constituents that they represent want done, there's a way to change it. You go to the ballot box, vote them out of office. But for some reason, there is a massive group of leftists, of power junkies, that have become self-appointed in many ways, but they are the power brokers for the dispensation of authority about everything. And therefore, Nancy obviously feels that she and some hand-appointed people she'll put on that select committee first of all, have the ability, secondly, have the authority to do whatever it is that they're going to do to hold everybody accountable when there are people that have already pled guilty. There are people that are headed for jail under the rule of law, under the criminal laws of the federal government and Washington, D.C. The U.S. Congress has no authority to arrest anybody. They have no power whatsoever to make an American come stand in front of them testify, hear testimony, present evidence. They have no authority. Why? The rule of law, the U.S. Constitution set it up. But these people, they don't give a rip, folks. They don't care about it. They just do what they think they want to do. And basically, we're at this point in our government. If you don't like what they do, they'll look at you and maybe not say it literally, but by their actions, they're telling us, we're going to do it anyway. Make us, make us stop. That's what they're saying. Another example, a federal judge named Marsha Morales Howard down in Florida yesterday issued an injunction against Joe Biden's plan, one of his plans. He's got a bunch of them he's rolled out there. I mean, he is Mr. Plan Guy. He's got a pen. He's got a cell phone. Jill will make phone calls for him, and he can sign his name. Um but he's doing these plans. He's putting all kinds of things out there. Well, this one that the judge jumped on was his 
loan forgiveness to black and other minority farmers, but not to any indebted white farmers, and said it is an attempt to address discrimination while practicing discrimination. And we here on the show, we've pointed this out again and again. I've told you this this week. You, you don't fix racism by being racist. You don't fix homophobia by being homophobic. You don't fix law-breaking by breaking laws. Our executive branch of the government, every day, all day, 24-7, top to bottom, they are breaking laws, federal laws, and I got to be honest with you, in doing so, they themselves, the ones who do this, authorize it and make the decisions and put everybody in place to break these laws, that is criminal. You don't fix criminality by taking criminal actions. That's what is happening right now. Read the homepage story today, folks. Read it. She, this judge, was appointed by George W. Bush. In her decision, she wrote this. The Constitution's promise of equal justice under the law is that our government will treat people as individuals, not simply as members of a racial group. In the eyes of government, we are just one race here. It is American. That's from 515 U.S. 200-239, Scalia concurring. That was from a Supreme Court case. And all Americans are entitled to equal treatment regardless of color. Plaintiff Scott Wynn, in this case that she weighed in on, brings this lawsuit to challenge a law that distributes benefits and burdens on the basis of race, which is in violation of the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. Now, Scott Wynn, the guy that brought this case, he's a farmer, a lifelong farmer, and he has run Wynn Farms in Jennings, Florida that produces sweet potatoes, corn, and cattle. And he's been doing it there for 15 years. COVID-19, of course, hit the family's finances hard like it did every family in America. Steep drops in beef prices, too little help and supplies to grow sweet potatoes meant less income nearly all of which went for federal farm loan repayment. A farm loan forgiveness provision is baked into the COVID-19-driven American Rescue Plan. We don't hear anything else, Lord, uh, every day. But the American Rescue Plan, the American Rescue Plan. But because of the way the law was written and Joe Biden signed it into law, this guy, Scott Wynn, he's not eligible. Why? He's white. He's white, folks. That's the only thing he's done wrong. He's white. The law allows loan forgiveness of up to 120%, but only for minority farmers and ranchers. The law automatically treats those farmers and ranchers who are African American as socially disadvantaged regardless of their individual circumstances. Skin color. Skin color. Because government can't use racial classifications to determine who gets government benefits and who keeps the burdens. Scott is fighting back to restore his right to equal treatment for all farmers under the law. Can you believe we are having this conversation today? Can you believe 
this president, any president of the United States, would not only support a racist policy like this, not only would sign a law that made it legal, at least for a minute, and then go out and tout the fact that he is putting white people down while he's holding African Americans or anybody of any other color up. Why? Just because of skin color. The Washington Post reported the plan already faced a legal hurdle. They wrote this, the program was already temporarily on hold because a separate restraining order in a case by a white former in Wisconsin. However, even if that Wisconsin order is reconsidered or even reversed in July, when a ruling is expected, this new nationwide injunction would still keep the program on hold for some time. The Florida case is considered the first nationwide preliminary injunction. This program is discriminatory because it bases eligibility for loan forgiveness solely on the basis of being a member of a minority group, regardless of your circumstances. One of the attorneys for Pacific Legal Foundation said that on Wednesday. If you're a white farmer, regardless of your circumstances, you are categorically ignored because you're not eligible. You're ineligible. That just, that just doesn't seem like it falls into equal justice under the law to me. Now, we have the process in place And this is the part that, on the most part, the left are just totally ignoring. We have a process in place when things are wrong, when people feel like they've been wronged by anybody, including their government, we have recourse. The Constitution set up a a process where everybody can take specific measures that they feel are necessary because of the wrongs that have been perpetrated on them by anybody else. And that very fact, folks, that's what makes the United States of America different than every other country on earth. Every other country on earth is built where, just like this left government wants to take us, there is somebody, even though there are elections and people get to choose people that serve in their governments, in most parts, even though that's in place, There are big-time power brokers that control the entire political process, which is an umbrella over the legal process. Therefore, they control that to some degree. And what happens in that scenario? What happens in that scenario is their leader just arbitrarily signs into law a policy that is 100% racist, that it puts someone down and pick someone else up, and the basis for either of those, and both of those, is skin color. That is the purest definition of racism. And folks, Joe Biden signing this into law is as racist as anything that's ever happened in the United States. It's as racist as lynching a black man in the South back in the 1800s. Wrong is wrong. Illegal is illegal. Taking somebody's life, destroying somebody's life is illegal. And the skin color doesn't matter. 
unless you're Joe Biden and unless you're a Democrat and unless you're trying to put your thumb on the scales of justice instead of letting it remain equal justice under the law regardless of skin color. There's a lot of legal stuff that's going on. It has been, it will be, and folks, it's really, it's unfortunate that we don't hear about the cases that are out there that are really important unless the specific media outlet to which you turn for your news or information feels like it fits the narrative that they're supposed to give to people that read, listen, and watch their news. Here's something about law, a case. It's been in court for a while, and you probably most certainly haven't heard anything about it, of late at least anyway. A Georgia judge yesterday dismissed seven of nine claims from a Fulton County election lawsuit. Now, Fulton County is big, biggest part of Atlanta, Georgia. It's an election lawsuit. They kicked out seven of nine claims in that suit while allowing two to move forward. And those two that move forward require the county, Fulton County, to produce digital images of some 150,000 mail-in ballots that are at the center of the plaintiff's allegations of fraud in the 2020 election. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to do like Joe Biden. The election's over. It's been ruled that Joe Biden's president. You can't say anything other than that. I can't even whisper like he does. (laughs) Uh, This order by uh, Judge Henry County Superior Court Chief Judge Brian Amaro ruled that the respondents of the lawsuit, which were Fulton County, Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections, Fulton County Clerk of Superior and Magistrate Courts, ruled that they couldn't be defendants in the suit because sovereign immunity protects them. However, Amaro granted a request by the plaintiffs to add five named individual members of Fulton County's Board of Registration and Elections as respondents in the case, which keeps the suit alive. Now, does that mean anything of substance? Well, just know this. That judge, they're, they're not just typically looking at one little measure or one little bitty piece in a suit. What they're looking at is, is there reliable cause to move this thing forward? And this judge wouldn't have kept it going if he felt like there was no substance to the allegation. I'm not talking about anything in the details, the cheating, were there any voting irregularities and all that kind of stuff. But when people say we think there was, and the reason we think there was, was because of all this evidence, judge, your honor, we want to get this in front of the court because we need, because of all of this, we feel like there was a bunch of cheating, a bunch of fraud that went on in Fulton County, November the 3rd last year. How did it happen? Who did it? We think the people, there we go again, the people, government of, by, and for the people. Democrats, leftists, in large part, they want that to go away. And they're pushing hard to make everybody forget about this wrongdoing and making it making it critical and in some case life-changing if you even dare to talk about the possibility of fraud 
in the November 6th election. After all, it was determined there was no fraud, there was no lawlessness, 61 lawsuits, and the judges wouldn't even let them come into court because there was no factual evidence there. That is false. And now every few days, every week or so, we're hearing about this case and that case. By the way, don't forget that massive election audit in Maricopa County in Arizona, which is Phoenix, that audit is still underway. And leftists of all sorts of locations, not just Arizonans, leftists are going crazy because it keeps hanging out there. We don't know the results. And they've got orders, gag orders. Nobody's releasing any of the details as the daily audit process moves forward. I'm going to make a prediction. When this thing is over, we are going to find out there was a lot of irregularity, fraud, whatever. I don't know what they'll term it. But what we're going to hear the cries from the left when that happens is, oh, look, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe there was 15 or 30 or 40,000. Maybe there were, there, there were a lot of irregularities there. And this is their go-to talking point. But there weren't enough to make a difference in the outcome. Joe Biden still won Arizona. We know that. Shut up now. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Experience wow customer service at TennisExpress.com. 24-7 phone support and live chat. Product reviews on the latest gear and discounts for your team. Secure payment options with PayPal, Amazon, and more. Exclusive products including limited edition tees. Rackets strung by master racket technicians on state-of-the-art machines. Plus, free shipping on orders over $25. Shop TennisExpress.com today. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. Language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Just as a point of information for those of you who are listening today and uh, you're not, you don't have your eye on all the news, the number of dead in that Surfside, Florida condo collapse is now up to four confirmed dead. But folks, still the number of people that are missing is 159. 
Oh my gosh, it's horrible. When I looked at the pictures of that, the first time I saw it, you know, it happened late at night. First time I saw a picture in the sunlight, it took my breath. Nobody's talking about what happened to the building, what caused the collapse like that. And it was like it was, um, they said, I don't even know how to describe it with one word. Authorities said when it collapsed, it was from the top down and it was like a pancake. This layer dropped on top of the one below it and that all dropped on the one below it all the way to the ground. The pictures look like the Mura Court Building, Federal Building up in Oklahoma that was exploded. Timothy McVeigh, you remember that? It was just bombed and exploded. And this looks eerily similar. And I'm not making any assumptions. I'm not saying anything happened. I don't have any clue. I'm not thinking conspiracy or anything like that. I'm just saying it's scary to think that that kind of happened. That thing happened in Surfside, and it looks like a bomb, a detonation, a demolition attempt. I don't know. Four people confirmed dead, 159 still missing. Pray for those folks. Pray for their families. I can only imagine the horrors of having to sit and wait. And if it's anything like 9-11, there will be folks that will never get a firm answer because from the appearance of the rubble, there are going to possibly be some bodies that aren't identified. And that that's horrible. I just can't imagine that that would happen to anyone. I can't imagine stuff like that happens in the United States with all of our really uh, intense building codes and all of the construction across the nation, top to bottom and east to west, that structurally a building would actually have that happen to it. In the story we were talking about a few minutes ago, I played the Joe Biden whisper. This is what he does now to make people listen closely to him. My voice cracks when I try to do that. Well, I've often wondered what people around the world think about our leader when they see and hear him do things like this. I mean, some of the other stuff, it's really right in your face, but this, you kind of scratch your head like, what the heck was he thinking? So our go-to guys to get a measure on what a lot of people overseas think about what's going on here in the U.S. is we go down under and we throw a few shrimps on the bobby with our buddies at Sky News. And they've got some strange feelings down there, different ones too about our president. Not just you and not just me. Now let me let you in on a secret. Well it's a bit of an open secret actually. It relates to the leader of the free world and just how he's going in his job and how capable he is of continuing in that job. To explain this, let's go to the White House and let's look at President Joe Biden in the East Room yesterday where he spoke about infrastructure and he took a few questions. Have a listen. And you said when people are waiting for relief. I got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. They're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential this week for child care. A lot has been happened already, number one. Number two, I'm going to fight like heck to get them the rest of what I think has to be done. He's doing a weird whispering thing, isn't he? Is it a lame joke? Is it condescension? 
Is it confusion? Maybe it was just a one-off bit of theatre that went awry. Let's move on and see what else he said. I don't in any way dismiss what Senator Murphy says about the environment. Don't dismiss it at all. So just remind him, I wrote the bill on the environment. Why would I not be for it? I hate to tell you this, but this bloke happens to be the president and he's got three years left to go in his first term. Maybe I'm overreacting. Surely he just answered like a grown-up for the rest of the event. I'm not being critical of you all. I really mean this. It was legitimate questions you're asking me. Asking me, well, you know, guess what? Employers can't find workers. I said, yeah, pay them more. This is an employee's, employee's bargaining chip now. What's happening? Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. And that's the secret, isn't it? That's what we all probably need to face up to. The man is either delusional, confused, or outright bonkers. Bonkers. I love that word. I can't say as I've ever put it in my vocabulary, but it's there now. <laughs> I promise you. You, you, you got to laugh or you'll cry. I mean, he, the, he made the point. We have this for three and a half more years, maybe. And if we don't have it for three and a half more years, it's going to be because it got so bad, changes had to be made. In either case, it's a bad deal. It's really scary, folks. It's scary. And let me tell you, it's spooky when you think back. Joe Biden didn't change during the campaign. He didn't change over the last couple of years. This has been Joe Biden for a while. And Americans elected him. The whispering president. (laughs) Oh my goodness, it's Friday. Chuckle with me. Come on. Chuckle. If you're in your office, close your office door for a second. Let's just laugh together. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we've got this guy and he's running the show. Well, at least he's in charge of running the show and it's either him or somebody looking over his shoulder telling him what to do. That's ridiculous. It's laughable. But it's not laughable. We shouldn't be giggling. But, I mean, you got you to gotta chuckle or you're going to cry. It's really a bad situation we find ourselves in. I know they were, on another note, I know they were screaming and hollering, we got a bipartisan infrastructure bill. We got it put together. And it's true. They all went to the White House. A bunch of Republicans went there and they sat around in the Oval Office with the president and his minions and They talked through all the various things, and the Republicans changed their offer, and it upped it to close to a trillion dollars, and they come out of the meeting, and it wasn't just the Republicans. They walk outside, and the president, Joe Biden, was with them, and they basically confirmed, we got a deal. We got a deal. And the news came out, what was included in it, and listen closely, folks, the deal, the structure, the basic shell... It really was about infrastructure, things like roads and bridges and, and uh, streets and Wi-Fi and things that really are structural entities and things that Americans really need repair, need additions, need changes. That's what the federal government has always done best. Everybody clapped and applauded. But then, uh-huh, uh-huh, the gotcha. 
Yesterday, President told reporters that he will not be signing the bipartisan infrastructure deal if Congress does not also pass another measure. Another measure. Listen to what he wants. A budget resolution that Democrats call human infrastructure that they want to push through via reconciliation to bypass the Senate filibuster. There's that wicked F word again. Now, when I grew up, the F word meant something other than this. The new F word is filibuster. Biden told those White House reporters he would not sign the bipartisan deal if it was the only one that gets on his desk. Quote, I'm not just signing the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest that I proposed, he said, adding that the Democrat push package seeks to expand the nation's social safety net is equally important to the bipartisan bill that deals with physical, more traditional infrastructure needs. In other words, they want something that really it's not at all in any way infrastructure. Look up the definition of infrastructure. It says nothing about social safety net. Pelosi said at her press conference yesterday that she would not hold a vote vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill until the Senate passes the bipartisan bill and a reconciliation bill. And then Chucky Boy. You hadn't heard much from Chuck Schumer of late. Nancy's keeping him in the back room, apparently. Anyway, he said he supports Pelosi's plan, and he called it a good way to ensure that both ends go forward. He was in agreement with his Democrat colleagues, telling reporters yesterday, I'm going to work closely with Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer to make sure that both move through the legislative process promptly and in tandem. Let me emphasize that, and in tandem. So you want me to interpret what this is, this is all about? First of all, let me tell you what the deal that Biden announced earlier in the day. Let me give you some brief details. It's $973 billion over five years, $579 billion of which is new spending. The total cost would rise to $1.2 trillion if projected over an eight-year span. The new spending will be on building roads, bridges, and highways, as well as power and broadband infrastructure, public transport, water infrastructure, among some other initiatives. Well, now that's the quote-unquote infrastructure bill. The Democrat version, including their budget resolution clause, Biden proposed that in his American Families Plan. It includes... Spending on home health care and child care, education, the measure has been dubbed as human infrastructure as opposed to the bipartisan bill that offers fiscal infrastructure. I'm getting to work with Congress right away on the other half of my economic agenda as well to finish the job on child care, education, the caring economy, the caring economy the caring economy. We're we're getting all these new terms they're coining. Clean energy tax cuts, clean energy, and tax cuts for American families, and much, 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 much more. Biden told those reporters. Now, let me put in context what happened here. I can tell you, when Biden was in the Oval Office with all those Republicans, and they began to talk about realistic, reasonable, real infrastructure stuff, 
Biden, I mean, in many cases, not always, but in many cases, he's always been a go-to black and white kind of guy. And so that Joe Biden was sitting in the Oval Office. Nancy wasn't in there. Did you hear that? Nancy wasn't in the room. Chuck wasn't in the room either. Ooh. After Joe walked out with the Republicans and the reporters heard that we got a deal, we got a deal, an infrastructure deal. It's going to be under a trillion dollars, and we're going to fix bridges. We're going to fix highways. We're going to build some roads. We're going to increase our power and broadband infrastructure. Our public transport and water infrastructure are all going to get money to bring them up to date. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nancy and Chuck. They got on speed dial. What the heck is Joe doing? What's he committing for? Get him over here. Get him on the phone. So the phone calls happened, and very quickly, they, Nancy and Chuck, they got Joe right back where he was supposed to be before he had the meeting without them. Joe, you can't do these kind of things. This was not what we had agreed that you would say. We told you to say nothing at all unless everything is included. We told you to say that. Why, oh why, did you get off the talking point? And Joe said, well, my teleprompter in the Oval Office broke. (laughs) I know, (laughs) I know, It's ridiculous to say, you know what? He's not going to ever be able to live down. (laughs) He's not going to be able to live down this whispering thing that he's fallen into. I hope Jill got in his ear and said, honey, (laughs) you make yourself seem senile and someone with cognitive decline when you talk like that. Don't do that in front of a crowd. It makes people question you. There are people in foreign countries that see you do that. And they think something's wrong with you. And Joe said, okay, Jill. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, Jill, I won't do it anymore. (laughs) Cognitive decline. I think we have to put it there. So the 900-pound gorilla in the room, once again, is the F word, the filibuster. And you know what that is. Certain measures, the biggies, the real biggies, because the Senate, Years ago, people in the Senate understood when the House of Representatives passed something, they directly are considered the people's house because one member of the House of Representatives comes from every legislative district in all of the 50 states. So they directly represent people in their own district. In the Senate, there's two senators that represent each their entire state. So there's a different representation there. So the Senate is supposed to be structured the way it is to try to keep the hyper-partisanship of politics out of passing legislation. And so lawmakers learned very, very soon after this all began to happen, you know, the rubber meets the road, they start creating legislation, that things weren't working out so smoothly because if the House of Representatives is controlled by one party or the other, and it usually is, it's still going to be the voices of the American people directly. The Senate, however, if there is a majority, which there almost always is, 
the majority can just basically shut out all the people and the people's voices by being hyper-partisan. So they created a filibuster that said all of these structural economic pieces of legislation that we pass, when they get to the Senate, when they get over to the Senate, we all agree, 100 senators and the majority of them agreed, we're going to create a system so that they, the majority party in charge, can't ram a piece of legislation down the throats of America unless a real significant number of them agree this is best for the nation. And the number they chose is 60. So anytime the filibuster is invoked by the minority party, it takes 60 votes to break the filibuster on one specific piece of legislation so that the minority in almost every case is not just left out. Their voices go unheard. And this has been very, very contentious through the years. Why is it contentious? Well, you and I both know. When the party that holds the majority, when they have a piece of legislation that they want passed, they want it passed. And when they have, say, 51, 52 senators in their party, they think we have the majority. We should be able to pass this legislation. Well, no, when it's ruled a particular piece of legislation falls in that area of needing 60 votes, the minority party can filibuster, and it can't proceed past that point unless and until there's a 60-vote majority, not just a small majority, but a 60-vote majority that agrees that's what we should do. So we've seen one Congress, the same person will say, I think the filibuster is necessary to protect the minority in America. We can't let a majority party just rule everything. Somebody like Democrat Senator Richard Blumenthal, when the Senate was in the minority, when the Democrat Party in the Senate was in the minority, Blumenthal was the one that just, he kept stumping. We've got to keep the filibuster in place. We've got to keep the filibuster in place. Well, yesterday... Senator Richard Blumenthal, he happened to show up on television in an interview one-on-one with America's greatest political spokesperson in media, Jake Tapper. And Jake, he got in a conversation about the filibuster with Richard Blumenthal. Listen to this back and forth. Democrats control the White House. They control the House. They control the Senate. I mean, if... What are you talking about preventing billionaires from, from controlling politics? I mean, you, are, you guys control everything right now. We may have an evenly divided Senate and control because the vice president can break a tie, but the filibuster rules, as the American people are beginning to understand, require us to have 60 votes just to proceed to debate, just to talk about the bill. And that's why... A lot of us, including many of our leaders, believe that we should tremendously modify the filibuster. I'm in favor of abolishing it. But in the meantime, we can mobilize support among the American people to understand that dark money, the money that goes to elections without disclosure, is determining the outcomes. And that's what we need disclosure 
to shine a light on. And that's why this bill is so important to end that kind of corruption. Senator, haven't you voted in favor of filibustering Republican legislation, not allowing them to even even proceed to a discussion and amendment process and debate on, on a bill? We have used the 60 vote threshold a number of times, for but you're example. Just, but you're talking about it being corrupt, but you've used it too. Well, the answer, Jake, I'll answer for Richard. Hey, yeah, I'm corrupt. Okay, now you're happy, Jake. I admit it. I'm corrupt. I want what I want. And when we're in power, I think we ought to be able to unilaterally control everything. And because of that, it's wrong. It's wrong when we're in power and we don't get our way. But when we're the little guys and they're in control, it's wrong for them to bully us. Quid pro quo. Doesn't work all the time. Doesn't fit. It's just one of those things, folks. It's just one of those things. You probably don't concentrate a whole lot on the appointments this administration still has open slots to fill. Joe Biden nominates, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And the big departments, you know, the cabinet, the big agency heads and stuff like that, Americans pretty well stay in the loop on most of those. One of Biden's nominees, it has come to light in the uh, confirmation hearing in the Senate, that this nominee has called in the past, in politics, in public, for population control to protect our environment. That's kind of spooky, isn't it? That's just one thing we have left to cover. Don't go anywhere. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Summer seems even brighter when you've been inside a while. It's time to drive again with Honda, KBB.com's 2020 Best Value Brand. You could get a great deal on the 2020 Passport or 2020 Pilot, with financing as low as 0.9% APR on select models. Visit the Honda Summer Clearance event today. For well-qualified buyers, see dealer for financing details based on 2020 brand image source from Kelly Bluebook. Visit KBB.com for more information. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. Lights, camera, movie. There's nothing like watching a movie to take you to another place or time. And there's no better place to watch than Drome Cinema. And no better time than the time it takes you to get from where you are to where we are. You'll break box office records of fun as you take a trip to Tinseltown Movieville, USA. Action, cut, quiet on the set. Our theaters feature noise-absorbing fabric, guaranteeing the only thing you hear is the movie. That high-pitched shuttle drone is normal. It's the sound your ears hear when there's nothing for your ears to hear here. 
So come on down and enjoy the movies where everyone's a star. Truth, justice, the American way. The Truth News Network. Once again, here's Dan Newman. I don't know, Pete. Truth, justice, the American way depends on who you listen to. Truth and justice, they're beginning to say, Maybe not so much appropriate or applicable or necessary in the United States of America. I know it's crazy. I know it's scary. But more and more and more, it seems like that's something that a lot of people think is what we should turn to for whatever reason or reason still remain unknown in most cases. I'm sure they know what's going on. I don't have a clue. And I think most Americans are in the same boat as I am. It's crazy. And speaking of crazy, Tracy Stone Manning. Tracy is President Biden's nominee to lead the Bureau of Land Management, BLM. (laughs) I wonder if they included that to kind of make it look like Black Lives Matter. Anyway, the Bureau of Land Management went by BLM a long time before Black Lives Matter was invented, but that's another story. Um. Tracy Stone Manning argued in her graduate thesis from college, she argued that Americans need to engage in population control. Why? To protect the environment? She's already come under fire in recent weeks for her connection to a tree spiking incident, which was and is an eco-terrorism tactic, happened in Idaho in the 1980s, where she traded her court testimony for legal immunity. In other words, she copped a plea. But her past links to eco-terrorists aren't the only controversial material in her background. In her graduate thesis, and uh, you can actually Google it, her name is Stone-Manning, that's her last name. You can Google Stone-Manning graduate thesis, you can get a copy of it. In it, it also urges Americans to have no more than two kids in order to protect the environment. Here's what she said, quote, The origin of our abuses is us. If there were fewer of us, we would have less of an impact. And that was first flagged, that thesis and that statement, by the Daily Caller earlier this week. And it continued, said, We must consume less, and more importantly, we must breed fewer consuming humans. Stone Manning created a series of eight ads for her thesis that focused on the issues of overgrazing, overpopulation, a mining law from the late 1800s, and the lumber industry. Pretty much all the areas that if she's confirmed, her department is going to regulate. One ad refers to a human child as an environmental hazard and encouraged Americans to only have two kids and no more. The earth is only so big, she said in her thesis, and we can tap into it only so often. In America, we tap in often and hard. When we overpopulate, the earth notices it more. Stop at two. It could be the best thing you do for the planet. Well, she repeated the same push in a television ad script that she wrote for her thesis as well which is set at a yuppie home. You remember the yuppie movement? Well, this one's set in a yuppie home and features a woman mulling over having a third child as she's drinking a cup of coffee. I know it would be my third baby, she says, but there's not a population problem here like in Africa or India. 
And besides, smart people like Bob and me should be the people having kids. In the script, it calls for a montage of clips depicting pollution while telling viewers to do the truly smart thing and stop at one or two at the most kids. The point is a simple one, she wrote of the ads in her thesis. Harshly, the ads say that the earth can't afford Americans. More softly, they ask people to think about how their family planning choices affect our planet. It also claims that uh, cattle grazing on public lands is destroying the West. Now, folks, here's what this all boils down to. If she's confirmed, she would oversee an agency that manages livestock grazing on a few few pieces of land out West, like 155 million acres of public land. And she's got a past in politics. She faced sharp opposition from Republicans over her links to that eco-terrorist plot back in the 90s. In 93, she was granted immunity in exchange for her testimony that she retyped and sent out an anonymous letter to the U.S. Forest Service on behalf of John P. Blount, her former roommate and friend. The letter told the Forest Service that 500 pounds of spikes measuring 18 inches long had been jammed into the trees of an Idaho forest. And the letter said this, P.S., you bastards go in there anyway, and a lot of people could get hurt. Hmm. She told senators in this hearing that she never had been the target of an investigation. That appears to conflict with what she previously said about the case. In other words, folks, here's somebody that wants to get in government and have pretty much unilateral control over a massive amount of American public-owned entities and land and resources. And she's done a lot of bad stuff. I'm just saying, first of all, I don't understand how she could even be nominated by a president, this president or any, with that past out in the public, with being in front of a court for spiking a bunch of trees, and she wants to be, as a conservationist, the head of the department that's over all the trees that the public owns. I, I, I just don't get it. Somebody, oh, I know what it was, President Biden, this is the person you need to put in that department. Apparently, the president, he only hears whispers now. <laughs> now, talk about some conundrums going on. These next two, this is going to blow your mind, folks. Put them in context. The first one compared to the second one. They both involve our nation, and they both in- involve our president. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, yesterday, he said that Washington disagrees with Germany. You're not going to believe this. Washington, he said, in other words, the Biden administration, they disagree with Germany on that infamous now Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. The U.S., he says, calls it a threat to Europe's energy security, and he added that both countries agreed to ensure, Germany and the U.S., that Russia cannot use energy as a tool against Ukraine or other countries. Okay, that's the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. 
That's the one that Joe Biden pulled the controls off of those people so that that pipeline could be completed. And the reason Biden gave for it was to help our allies in Germany and other parts of Europe regarding their energy supplies. And yesterday, the Secretary of State says that we're against what Germany did about the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Blinken met with his German counterpart, Heiko Maas, in Berlin yesterday and the day before, and they discussed U.S.-German relations. Although there was no sign of progress in talks to overcome the impasse over the pipeline, neither Blinken nor Maas could offer a timetable for any kind of possible resolution. We don't always agree, he said. That's the German foreign minister. And then Blinken said, the foreign minister and I spoke today about one of those areas of disagreement, the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which we continue to believe is a threat to Europe's energy security. Now, let me put in context the timing for this. You and I just heard this, and we said, man, this, this is just stupid. Biden allowed it to happen with actions he took a week and a half ago. And here's the Secretary of State saying, we as a nation and we as an administration are against that pipeline that we just approved for it to be finished. But it doesn't stop there. The irony, the hypocrisy doesn't stop there. The Biden administration, you're not going to believe this, has backed the validity of that Trump-era environmental assessment and the Trump's approval of a controversial Minnesota pipeline project that environmental groups are suing to block. Now, this thing's tied up in court, but the Biden administration says they're going to back, they're going to back the building continuation of this Minnesota pipeline. A brief was filed on June 23rd. The Department of Justice argued in that case that the Army Corps of Engineers 2020 approval of Enbridge's Line 3 is the name of this pipeline, that the Army Corps of Engineers, they're approving this, met its legal obligation to assess the project's environmental impacts, and they consider all the problems to which plaintiffs drew special attention. What kind of problems? The project's effects on climate, tribal hunting and fishing rights, low-income and minority populations. The acting assistant AG of the Department of Justice's Environment Natural Resources Division, Gene Williams, recommended that the court should reject the plaintiff's arguments and enter summary judgment in favor of the federal defendants. In other words, let the pipeline go. Let it happen. Now, the plaintiffs include the White Earth Band of Ojibwe, the Red Lake Band of Chippewa honor the Earth and the Sierra Club. They had challenged the Corps' review and approval process as arbitrary and capricious, and the judge rejected it. So, on one hand, you have Joe Biden, Joe Biden, President of the United States, hates Russia, hates Putin, he says. And I uh, capitalized the words he says. 
And he just out of the sky says, we're going to let them finish that pipeline. We're going to let Russia do it. We're going to let Russia control the majority of gas for Germany and all of our other allies in Europe. We're not worried about him using that as blackmail, (laughs) even though the greatest blackmail on planet Earth is happening by terrorists, internet terrorists in his country on his watch where they're shutting down infrastructure operating entities in the U.S. and holding them hostage. We don't think he'll do that over there. He's a good guy. In fact, if you'll remember, I called him when that first Continental Pipeline shutdown happened. Their IT was taken over by terrorists in his country. And I called him to let him know how upset we were. And he told me, Joe, I don't know anything about it. And Joe said, so he's not involved. He told me he's not involved. And a couple of weeks later, he says, look, we're going to let him go ahead and do it. And then almost days, days and hours later, Joe's Secretary of State is over in Germany and they announce Joe is against the pipeline that he just approved. And why is he against the pipeline? Environmentally. Oh, it's just crazy. We're talking about hydrocarbons? Oh, transporting those, environmental disaster in the making. And then we find out his Department of Justice they give the green light to another pipeline that they had been against before. So my question is, the determination of those in power in this administration, does it change every night when they go to sleep? Well, Dan, no, it doesn't. Maybe they wait till they wake up to change their minds, but they're changing their mind. These are on some really, really big issues, folks, some very important things. When he did what he did on his inauguration day, canceling the Keystone Pipeline, the permit for them to continue the construction of that, he put directly tens of thousands of high-paying jobs, he put them out of existence. And the people that held those jobs, many of them, seven-figure numbers, 100 grand, no, I'm sorry, six-figure numbers, 100 grand and more, he put them on the bench. There's no jobs out there for them to to take. He shut down the entire pipeline that runs from the southern Canadian border all the way through the central United States down to the Gulf Coast. So think about all the uh, ancillary jobs along the way in these towns and cities as this pipeline's being produced, all the temporary workers there. But the construction people, the infrastructure, are going to remain there forever hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue and people's lives. He put them on the bench in one day, arbitrarily, and he did it for environmental reasons, but yet now he's okay with the Minnesota pipeline because his Department of Justice said, we're going we're gonna to make sure it, it, it goes forward, even though it's been questioned and challenged in court. It makes absolutely no sense, none whatsoever. And Americans just don't understand. We look and listen, see this stuff, and we just slap ourselves in the head. I mean, what's real? Very little of what we're seeing and hearing coming out of Washington, out of this administration. First of all, it changes as the days change. It changes. It's almost like Dr. Fauci's in the White House, too, right? Wow. 
So we keep waiting breathlessly to hear what's coming out of our vice president's mouth when she gets down there to El Paso to investigate. I mean, you know, she's the only one that knows what the root causes of 781 illegals crossing into our border that we apprehended since the pair took office on January 20th. 781,000 is the number released this morning. 781,000. And those are the ones we caught. How many more are in the nation? How many are living in your town, your city? And you have no idea they're there. Law enforcement has no idea they're there. Nobody knows they are there, don't know who they are, but they're being absorbed into the fabric of our nation and who knows what they brought with them. And the biggie, of course, is those 781,000 that we caught, we had no idea when we caught them if they had COVID-19 or not. That didn't happen in the Trump administration because of Title 42. It was a regulation that said if they came to the border and we did not know the status of their health, they could be turned away. And the Trump administration sent them back over to that Remain in Mexico project. Taking care of Americans. This administration, every day it just just seems more and more they don't give a rip. They don't really care. And so Harris is down there today, and boy, she's getting blasted. Even the Los Angeles Times, the LA Times, one of the most, if not the most, liberal newspaper, at least on the West Coast. They said that Kamala Harris has been ineffective in her role in only five months after fawning over her so hard. I'm talking about the LA Times. I mean, remember, she's Californian. She was the state attorney general when she was elected to the U.S. Senate. From there, she goes to the vice presidency. The paper's coverage back then was labeled inappropriate and disappointing. It was ridiculed, the LA Times, on social media in January when it announced covering Kamala Harris, which is a project described as a beat dedicated to her historic rise to the White House that was loaded with obviously nothing but complimentary content. A piece published Wednesday, day before yesterday, by staff writer Noah Bierman headlined Essential Politics. Failure of elections bill shows limits of Kamala Harris's influence. And so that first headline covering Kamala Harris, where they were printing and publishing every sweet thing from her past, that was in January. Here we are five months later, and they're blasting her for being ineffective. She has no influence. That writer noted there was justifiable skepticism when Biden selected her to lead an effort to expand voting rights. Fast forward three weeks, and Democrats are where many thought they would be. Nowhere. The Senate killed the House pass for the People Act on Tuesday with Democrats lacking the 60 votes to overcome a filibuster, Bierman wrote. As for Harris's role, The takeaway was how little we saw of her. No dramatic trips to the Senate to court votes. No statements on how to find compromise. No known talks with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who is the sole Democratic holdout in supporting the bill. The Times writer then took another shot, noting her lack of any significant engagement in the Senate 
and that that not happening has not been a surprise to anyone who's paid attention to her political career. Here's what they said. Now, they're beating her up. They're demeaning her when they've never said anything, anything at all that wasn't just overboard positive. The writer said this, she served only four of the years there, a good portion of that time running for president. He's talking about her as Senate. Her best-known interaction with Manchin involved angering him. When she went on TV in his home state, West Virginia, earlier this year to push for an economic relief bill, and he publicly complained she hadn't given him a heads up. Beerman, the writer, mentioned Harris seemed to be working on her Senate relationships after hosting a bipartisan dinner, but he feels she lacks influence when it comes to legislating in the modern Congress. This is all way different from early 2021. Listen to what the LA Times published then. Quote, Kamala Harris is all kinds of first. The first woman, a woman of color, black woman, mixed race woman, and South Asian elected to national office. And then, of course, there are her California roots. It's all coming home to roost, folks. That's what happens. That's what happens. When you do good stuff, good stuff comes to you. When you do bad stuff, bad stuff comes to you. And when you don't do any stuff, Nothing comes to you but anger because you ain't doing squat, yet alone doing what they told you to do and you promised you would do, and then you don't do it. Now, i got to pat myself on the back. As you probably know from being around for a while, I really get after the people in the news media, especially those that just absolutely refuse to report the news. They claim they're really journalists when they're not. They're just mouthpieces, political mouthpieces for people on the left primarily. And they never tell facts and just let the facts take care of what you and I think about it. They tell us something and then they act like we're too stupid to get it so they have to explain it. And their explanations are always one-sided, heavily partisan to the left. And if you disagree with them, you're just nobody. So it's kind of interesting to find out that I'm not the only one and we're not the only ones in the world that feel that way about our media. Among 46 countries worldwide, 46 countries worldwide, our trust in its media ranks dead last. In other words, the people that live in 46 different countries When they look at our media, do they trust it? Of the 46 folks, they rank us number 46. We're winning something. Finally, (laughs) we're winning something. We are the, we can have the most egregious, dishonest media in the world. The United States ranks last in media trust among 92,000 news consumers that were surveyed in 46 countries. A report that was released released on Wednesday said that reports the far-left pointer. That's worse than Poland, worse than the Philippines, worse than Peru. And it gets better. In the wake of China flu, 
Quote, some improvements in media trust was found in nearly all the countries surveyed, except in the United States where the low rating was flat year to year. Well, that might be because Americans' media serially lied throughout the Wuhan flu crisis. We know they did. And it gets even better. One of the report's authors actually believes the American media can increase public trust by engaging in even more racial pandering. You know, because we don't have enough of that already. Here's what was said. Many Americans do not feel that news organizations are covering people like them fairly. And those who say the news media are treating them less fairly are less likely to trust the news. This includes, for example, younger people, young women in particular, black Americans, and Hispanic Americans. More inclusive treatment of their concerns will help, he said, with the qualifier that change in trust will take a while given how long these groups have felt left out. But the political right is tossed to bone. The writer said this, political partisans, especially on the right, trust the news much less and also don't feel news organizations cover their views fairly. News media may be able to respond to this concern. So there's hope. Before we take our final break of the day, let me tell you what's on the other side. Another state. Another state has looked back at that January 6th election and they're a bit concerned about what went on and there are whispers that there was some illegality, irregularity. And so they're looking at it and they're contemplating doing the same thing that's going on right now in Maricopa County out in Phoenix. Today, as you're sitting there wondering, what am I going to eat for lunch? They're huddled over in the convention center out there and they're manually looking at every mail-in ballot just to find out, did this person really cast this vote? And oh, by the way, were they really registered voters? Hmm. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them, someone they can trust, someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell, a partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. At the Forest Foundation, we care about three things. Tree things, nature things, and the third thing, bird things. The homes of native birds are being destroyed at an alarming rate. That's why our goal is to give a birdhouse to every bird on Earth. Humans stopped living in trees ages ago. It's time we invited birds indoors with the rest of us. Do your part and text Dirty Birdie to 3030 to donate a bird bath to 30 birdies. You can either be part of the problem or you can be with us. The Forest Foundation.
there are several other states that are looking into January 6th elections. We're going we're gonna to pass on that. We'll get into that next week because it's going to be carrying on just like this uh, Maricopa County, Arizona election peekaboo is carrying on. There's a couple of things we want to tell you about that uh, are happening as we speak. Representative Warren Davidson has introduced a bill in Congress to ban federal government from issuing vaccine passports. He's a Republican from Ohio. It's called the Vaccine Passport Prevention Act, would restrict states and ban private businesses from requiring proof of coronavirus vaccination because doing so is an inherent violation of civil liberties. They're not really providing a rational basis for discriminatory activity, he said in an interview. They're busy separating healthy people from other healthy people on a presumption that people without a vaccine are not healthy. It's a violation of civil liberties. If the bill is passed, states that try to issue one of those vaccine passports, their requirement to do so would lose federal funding and private businesses connected to interstate commerce would be barred from receiving federal funding for two years. Anyone who is denied service because of their vaccination status would also be granted the right to sue that business. Schools, healthcare providers, and the military would still be allowed to require coronavirus vaccine because those entities have been allowed to require other vaccines in the past. This report about this, it said this. This goes significantly further than bills introduced earlier this year, including by Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, that would only prevent the federal government from issuing vaccine passports. It's highly unlikely to pass the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives or even become law, but it does represent growing opposition from Republicans to vaccine passports. That's been reflected in similar bans in several states. Nobody's mentioned the obvious federal law out there that comes into play here. HIPAA. HIPAA law. Now, what is the HIPAA law? It's the Health Insurance Patient Portability Act. It was a little bitty segment of a budget bill in 1986, and it was an oh, by the way, Basically, when you dig into the verbiage of it, what it says, it, it protects your health care information. That's number one. Number two, when you go somewhere, your health care providers have to give you access to your health information and only to you unless you authorize them to give it to someone else. Those are the two biggies in there. But here's something that this whole passport thing it flies in the face of that law, the HIPAA law. Why? They can't, under federal law, as determined by the Supreme Court, incidentally, in numerous cases, they cannot arbitrarily, they being the government, can't force you to reveal anything personally of your medical information. And so what does that mean, Dan? If they want to require you to have a passport, a business or the government... To have one of these passports, that means it's a medical record. And nobody can make you give any of your personal private health information to anyone else. And if you took the shot, and that's between you and whoever, you can't be required to reveal that as part of the HIPAA law. 
if somebody goes there, and I'm surprised, actually, that especially in this uh, Methodist hospital case down in Houston, where they required coronavirus vaccines, their employees to take them, and the first court when a suit was filed against the hospital for requiring that was thrown out. It's on appeal now. But I think if anybody would just use the federal law, that Balanced Budget Act bill from 1986 and the HIPAA provision, they would term it, and it probably, we all know this, everything that is a big thing in in our lives, and there's a law regarding it, it ends up going to the Supreme Court. You know, they'd have to overturn precedent, the Supreme Court would, to say that it's okay for Methodist Hospital to require employees to be vaccinated. It would be okay in other cases to force people to be very opaque, clear, transparent. If you've had the vaccination, you got to show proof of it. That violates constitutional rights. Oh, well. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I can say that because I believe that, and I've been involved in the medical industry. Medical records, a big deal. HIPAA law. That's a wrap on the day today here at TNN Live. If you want this show, feel free within the next 30 minutes to grab it off of our homepage of the story down at the bottom of the link. If you don't do it then, you can go to iTunes Podcast. Every day's podcast here, our show in its entirety, is put there at Apple iTunes, also on Spotify Podcast. Just another way we keep you in touch with everything that's happening here and then everything that's happening around the world. Have a great weekend. Don't forget, Saturday Bullet Points. Catch up the headlines of all the week action. It's tomorrow. See ya. There's far too many of you crying Brother, brother, brother There's far too many of you dying You know we got to find